What's up, everyone? I am Bonifia. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of my podcast. I want to welcome you to the Murder Cafe. Get your cup of coffee or tea ready and sit down for yet another fascinating case. So, before we are going to get started with our first case on this podcast, I want to give a little introduction. So, I'm Bonifia, I am 20 years old, and um, I have a passion for true crime. I actually watch a lot of true crime videos on YouTube or watch documentaries on Netflix or on TV and read a lot of true crime articles. It just fascinates me. I don't know. Maybe it's an obsession. Maybe it's a really unhealthy obsession. But it just interests me so much. When I come across a murder case, I always want to know all the details. And I think that's why I have such a huge interest in true crime. I really want to get into the head of the murderer and the person that has been murdered. What are their backgrounds? Why did it happen? Um, were there other crimes committed? When did it happen? Why did it happen? Those are all questions that pop up in my mind, and I want them to be answered. The big interest that I have in true crime is actually the main reason why I wanted to start this podcast. I needed a platform to share my knowledge with people, and Anchor is actually the perfect way to inform or educate people about true crime. Um, true crime is something that I watch and um, learn about in my spare time, in my free time. It's a hobby, I guess. The first season of my podcast I wanted to focus on murder cases involving children. And by this, I mean children committing a murder and children being murdered by adults. Um, I think this category in true crime really fascinates me because I can't wrap my head around how an adult can um, murder a child and a child can actually come up with a plan and commit a murder. So now that I've introduced myself and actually explained my purpose of this podcast and why I started Murder Cafe, we can finally talk about the case of today. So the case that we're going to talk about today is the Lynn family murders, which occurred in 2009 in Australia. So the father of this family was called 
Min Lin, and he was 45 years old. And his wife, Yan Lin, also known as Lily, was 43 years old. And they met in Sydney after they both migrated from China uh, after finishing their studies. And they had three children together. Brenda was their oldest child, and she was 15 years old. And Henry was 12 years old, and their youngest child, Terry, was nine years old. Growing up, Min and Lily didn't really have a lot. So one of their main goals in life was actually to be able to provide for their children and to be able to give them the best possible life and education that they could. So Min decided to open a news agency, which he called the Epping Central News Agency. It was located on uh, Rousen Street, which is like a popular shopping site in a suburb in Sydney called Epping. His news agency in Epping became a huge success and it brought in about a million dollars a year. The Epping Central News Agency also made the Lin family and especially Min uh, really important to the local community. Min worked at the news agency every single day and he became a daily fixture in a lot of local people's lives in Epping. So Min was well known to be a very hardworking, very friendly and family-oriented man. So because the news agency was so successful, they started to make a lot of money. And Min and his wife Lily ended up buying a two-story family home at 55A Boundary Street in North Epping. They started living together in this house with their children and with Lily's sister Yunmin as well. And she went by the name Irene and she was 39 years old. So as I mentioned before, Min was a very family-oriented man. So when his parents Yang Fai Lin and Fin Quin Zhu migrated to Australia from China as well, he uh, bought them a house in Maryland, which was about a 30-minute drive away from his own home in North Epping because they wanted to stay close to their family. So the Lin family also just lived 300 meters away from Min's sister, and she was called Kathy, and her husband was called Robert Z. So Kathy and Robert had also migrated to Australia from China in 2002. Robert claims that he was a successful ear, throat, and nose specialist in China, and I guess he was hoping for the same sort of success in Australia as he had back in China. And he also saw his brother-in-law, Min, having a really successful news agency in Australia. So I think he wanted that as well. So Kathy and Robert firstly migrated to Melbourne when they came to Australia. And Robert attempted to open a restaurant there. He wanted to bring over three chefs from China. But this request was denied. And the restaurant unfortunately failed. So in 2005, Robert and Kathy made the move to Sydney because they wanted to be closer to Kathy's brother Min and the parents. So the Lin family and the Z family, Min and Kathy's parents all became very close because they started living so close together. Kathy and Robert uh, bought a house 300 meters away from the Lin family and the parents were just a 30 minute drive away. So the family started to see each other frequently. 
Um, Kathy and Irene also both worked part-time jobs at Min's news agency. So the news agency became a very uh, family-oriented company as well. Now that I have given you all the details and all the information that you need to know about the Lin family, about Robert and Kathy, Lily's sister Irene, I've uh, talked about everyone who migrated from China to Australia and the whole family who lived together and really close together and saw each other frequently. Now I want to jump into the case and this is where it gets freaky, you guys. So it's Friday the 17th of July in 2009 and the whole family, the three families together, wanted to have a nice dinner. So they went to Yang Fai Lin and Fang Kun Su's house in Maryland, uh, which was a 30-minute drive away, like I told you. And Yang Fai Lin and Fang Kun Su were uh, Min and Kathy's parents, to remind you. So everyone of the family was there that night, besides Brenda. Brenda was Min and Lily's oldest child. And she was in New Caledonia at that time because she was on a school excursion with her French class. Um, they speak French in New Caledonia, so they were going to learn a language while they were on an excursion there. So some facts about Brenda, she had a really tight group of friends at school, uh, she's a very intelligent girl and hardworking. Anyways, it was just a really regular family night with the family, except for Brenda, at the parents' house in Maryland. So Henry, the middle child of Min and Lily, was uh, complaining that night to his grandmother that his shoes were broken. And his grandmother decided to give him $50 for winning his badminton competition. He was so happy with the money that it made him completely forget about his broken shoes. Also, his grandmother was trying to convince Henry to stay over that night with her and his granddad at the Maryland house. She wanted to spend some more time with him because it's his grandson. But unfortunately, Henry couldn't stay over because he and Robert, his uncle, were going to play badminton the next morning and he was really excited about that and he loved playing badminton. So unfortunately, he couldn't stay over. So um, by telling you this story, I just want to make clear that it was a really regular night. There was nothing off about that night except for Brenda, who wasn't there. And they were just having normal conversations. It was a really peaceful night, really relaxing, having some dinner and um, spending some time with the grandchildren. But the sad thing about that night was actually that they didn't know that it would be their last night that they would ever spend together as one whole family. The next Saturday morning, on the 18th of July in 2009, uh, it was the morning after the dinner that the family had, the news agency in North Epping didn't open as usual. There was a bundle of papers just sitting outside, they hadn't been taken in, the doors were locked, and customers thought that something was really off about the situation, because as I said before, Min was like a daily fixture in a lot of local people's lives, and they saw him every single day. So there was never a day that the news agency didn't open, and especially on Saturday mornings, because that was like one of their busiest time periods. 
So some of the concerned customers are trying to ring Kathy uh, to ask her what's going on. Why is the news agency not open? Where is Min? Um, Kathy and Robert were actually up early that morning. Even though Robert usually sleeps in on his Saturday mornings, but he was early. Um, he was up early and he was cleaning the garage where they were receiving the calls from the concerned customers. And they left Kathy feeling something was off too, because she knows her brother. She knows that Min was at the news agency every single day, and that it was really unusual for the news agency not to open on a Saturday morning. Um, she felt something was off too, but never in her wildest dreams could she have imagined what had actually taken place. So the Lin family only lived 300 meters away from Kathy and Robert. So the first thought was that they had to check up on them immediately. So as soon after they listened to those concerned phone calls, they started walking to the Lin family home to check up on them to see what's going on. So Kathy and Robert arrived at the Lin family home. And the first thing that they noticed was that the front door was unlocked, which obviously wasn't a really good sign. So they entered the house and things looked really normal to them because there were shoes scattered by the front door, as usual. There was a key sitting on the kitchen bench top and the kids' school bags were sitting behind the laundry door, ready to be taken to school that morning. And it all just looked really ordinary. But while they were looking, Kathy and Robert were calling out to everybody in the house and nobody was responding to their call-outs. So Kathy and Robert headed upstairs. And what they saw upstairs was a very different story. What they found up there was described by police and paramedics as one of the most cruel crime scenes in all of New South Wales history. There was blood everywhere. Kathy and Robert first went into the monster bedroom, and this was Min and Lily's bedroom. And what they found there was Lily's body lying on top of the sheets. She had been bludgeoned to death, and the whole room was soaked in blood. Across the hall was Irene's room, so they went into that room next. And what they found there was pretty much the same scene. Irene was found slumped up against the bed, and she was covered in blood. Henry and Rue, uh, Terry's room, was pretty much the same scene. Henry and Terry's body were found dead, and the room was covered in blood. And it was an absolutely horrific scene what they found up there. The entire Lynn family had been murdered, besides Brenda, because she was on her school trip in New Caledonia with her school at the time. Min's body also wasn't accounted for. When Kathy and Robert were looking and looking into the rooms and they checked every single room upstairs, but they didn't find Min's body. So after discovering the four dead bodies, Kathy ran downstairs. She called triple zero. And I actually found and listened to a snippet of this phone call. Uh, this is a real phone call between Kathy and the police. Um, this is a real triple zero call that she made um, that Saturday morning. 
And the way the officer is treating Kathy here, I just found that so incredibly frustrating. It was just, my blood was boiling. So I will play a snippet of that um, phone call conversation between Kathy and the police officers that morning. listening to this phone call it had my blood boiling this is absolutely absurd to me in this case i just felt like the officer speaking to kathy here was being so incredibly insensitive impatient rude like i understand you're a police officer and it might be frustrating to try and understand what the situation is, uh, to try to get some information out of someone who is panicked. But this is just not the way to go about it. Like, I think, in my opinion, Kathy was obviously traumatized um, because she just found her entire family's bodies in this completely awful and dreadful scene upstairs in their own home. And I have to say that the officer was really condescending towards her in this phone call. Like the situation was not handled well by the police. Also, during this call, you can hear Kathy speaking in Cantonese, and this is her and Robert's native language. She was basically begging Robert not to leave her alone, saying that she was terrified and Robert was actually telling her I have to go Kathy I have to go get your parents and tell them what happened so Robert left a terrified traumatized Kathy alone at the house still not having found her brother Min's body and still not knowing if Min could be the attacker and if not if the attacker was still in the house hiding somewhere and Robert just left and he went to go get Kathy's parents. So paramedics and police arrived at the scene not long after Robert left. And they were greeted by Kathy. She was outside screaming for their help. So the police searched the entire house as well. And the police found absolutely no signs of men. Eventually, when Robert arrived back at the house, um, with the parents of Min and Kathy, the detectives uh, informed the parents that uh, they found four dead bodies in the Lin family home, but they still didn't know the location of Min. So Kathy, at this moment, suggested that the detectives should look underneath the sheets of the bed in the master bedroom, because they found Lily on top of the sheets, but they did not look under the sheets. On her advice, the police checked under the bedsheets and they found Min's body as well. 
Min was also bludgeoned to death, and he was almost unrecognizable. So let's go ahead and talk about what the detectives have found at the scene besides the bodies and what the detectives had concluded from the entire crime scene. It was firstly determined that the murders had occurred between 2 and 5.30 in the morning. The electricity to the house had been cut by uh, the power box outside and there were no signs of a forced entry. So it definitely seemed as though whatever the killer was knew the Lane family and they knew the layout of the house. So in my opinion, these findings definitely hinted towards a crime of passion. To enter somebody's home in the dead of the night while they're sleeping is pitch black and they're at their most vulnerable state. And then to bludgeon them to death so brutally that they're almost unrecognizable. That just perfectly suits a crime of passion. So it was determined that a makeshift hammer type of weapon was used to uh, carry out the murders. And it likely had a roped heart around it so that the perpetrator didn't lose their grip while they were killing. But to this day, the murder weapon has never been found. So the severity of the injuries was so bad, the police and paramedics originally thought that Min had been shot because he was so unrecognizable. But post-mortem exams actually showed that the causing factor of death in all the victims was blunt force trauma and asphyxiation. And uh, asphyxiation was a contributing factor uh, in four out of the five victims. So the likely scenario from this is that the victims were suffocated to subdue them, and then they were beaten to death by a hammer-like murder weapon. It's believed that Min and Lily were both murdered first, and that they received the most violent and most brutal murder of all of the victims. Their bedroom, was, which was the master bedroom, was covered in blood. The bed was soaked. There was blood on the floor, the walls, the ceilings, on the door, the wall charges, the phones. It was everywhere. So Lily's sister Irene who was in the room just across the hall, uh, was determined to have been murdered next. So Min and Lily were murdered first, then Lily's sister Irene, whose room was across the hall of the master bedroom, um, was determined to have been murdered next. She was found slumped up against the bed in her room, and the scene looked very similar to that of Min and Lily's master bedroom, because there was blood spattered everywhere in the room. It was also determined that Irene was likely murdered in the same way that Min and Lily were. The detectives determined that it was likely that Henry and Terry were murdered last because their bedroom was down the hall and their scene was slightly different from Min, Lily and Irene's. It was determined from the blood spatter throughout the room that at least one of the boys was actually awake before they were murdered, and it seems as though the boys tried to fight their perpetrator and would have seen the perpetrator's face before they were murdered. Also seems after uh, murdering Henry and Terry, the killer then left by going back down the stairs and leaving blood smeared on the stair railings and on every single bedroom door, except for Brenda's. And then the killer exited through the front door, leaving it unlocked. 
So Brenda's room seemed as though it hadn't so much been entered because like I mentioned, there was no blood on the door handle like there was with every single other room, which further fueled the idea that whatever the killer was knew the family, knew the layout of the house, they knew Brenda wasn't going to be there, and they knew exactly where Brenda's room was. The blood smears throughout the house showed that the killer likely wore gloves, and there were also 24 bloody shoe impressions found throughout the house, which were determined to be between men's US size 8.5 and 10.5. Kathy, Robert, Yang Fai Lin, and Fang Quin Su were taken to Hornsby Hospital to be treated for shock and to receive counseling while the detectives were at the Lin family home and were researching the crime scene. So, at this moment at the Hornsby Hospital, they were told that Min had been found while they were doing their research at around the same time. So, um, this was a few hours after the paramedics and police arrived at the scene. And when Kathy Robert, Yang Fai Lin, and Fang Quin Zhu were at uh, Hornsby Hospital, Brenda was still in New Caledonia. She had no idea about the tragic situation that was going on back in Epping. So Brenda and a few of her friends, while they were on their excursion, they decided to hop on Facebook because they wanted to catch up on their life back at home in Epping to see what was going on. So she started talking to friends and family through Facebook and everyone started asking Brenda if she was okay. And this was really weird to Brenda. She, she had no idea why. So Brenda was so confused, but somebody decided to tell her through Facebook that her family had been murdered. And she couldn't believe it at first. She thought it was some kind of a sick joke that someone was pulling on her and that there was no way something like that could ever happen to her and her family. So her school principal named Susan Bridge, uh, she was not on the school trip, but she got in contact with one of the teachers who was on the trip with Brenda. And they organized for Brenda to be put on the first available flight back to Sydney. Kathy was actually waiting for Brenda at the airport with a few police officers. And as soon as Brenda arrived, she was escorted by police into a private room where she was told what had happened to her family. And I suppose, that moment was when everything really hit Brenda and she just completely broke down in tears in her and Kathy's arms. She said that her biggest regret is how she left her family before she went on that school excursion. Her dad dropped her off on a trip at uh, around 4 a.m. on Monday that week and when everything was happening, when this whole case was happening, she was 15 years old. So I guess she was just going through the phase, you're a teenager, where you just think that you're too tough for hugging or kissing your parents. Brenda and her dad, when they were saying their goodbyes before she was on the trip, they just awkwardly stood there, didn't hug each other, or told each other they loved each other before Brenda left. She must have thought like, oh well, it's a week-long trip, I'm going to be back, I'm going to see them as soon as I'm home. Brenda says that her biggest regret is not hugging her dad and telling him that she loved him and telling him what an amazingly loving and caring parent he actually was. And when I read this, this actually broke my heart. 
Because Brenda was still 15 at the time and she was a minor, Robert and Kathy became her legal guardians. In fact, Robert actually offered just hours after discovery of the murders to adopt Brenda. Robert and Kathy also became the owners of the news agency. And as Brenda's legal guardians, they just tried to make Brenda's life as normal as it could, despite everything that had happened with her family. And because Brenda was with family, she was with Robert and Kathy, they are her uncle and aunt, and she just felt comfortable with them, and they were supporting her. And not only were they supporting her, but the whole community was rallying around Brenda and actually started up a trust fund which people donated to for Brenda and for her education. The community also used the news agency as a bit of a memorial and flowers and tributes just filled the outside of the footpath of the news agency. Now, the Lynn family murder case was huge in Australia. When everything was happening, the media was all over it, like absolute vultures. So as I'm sure you can imagine that there was a massive amount of pressure on the detectives who were working on this case trying to solve this case and figure out who the murderer was. There were also a lot of rumors and theories flying around, like the Chinese mafia had something to do with this, it was gang-related maybe, uh, the Lin family were in a huge amount of debt, and the idea that it was a murder-suicide also circled around for a bit. But this was very quickly ruled out because none of the injuries on any of the victims were self-inflicted. Another possible theory came to light when an arrest was made in Parramatta which was linked to a number of violent armored car robberies. And these robberies took place in and around Epping in the early mornings, while armored cars were on their way to fill up ATMs. On the 28th of May, just two months before the Lynn family murders happened, men actually witnessed one of these robberies because it occurred just across the road from the news agency at a local RSL. And it was thought Possibly that in bid to eliminate any witnesses, the robbers could have murdered Min and his entire family. However, it was fastly determined that this incident was unrelated to the murders. So by 2010, there really hadn't been a lot of leads. One year later, the detectives at this point uh, were convinced that the killer was somebody either extremely close to the Lin family or was actually a family member. It had to be somebody who knew the family really well, who knew the layout of the house, and who either had a spare key or even was close enough to have a key of their own. They also thought it may have been somebody who was close enough to know that Brenda wasn't home at the time, but they weren't sure at this point whether Brenda not being there was a coincidence or not. The detectives also believed that there had to be a single killer involved because only one set of footprints was found in the house. Now, because of all this evidence, police really felt like there was only one suspect who made sense, and that was Robert C. Both Robert and Kathy were interviewed just four days after the murders, and in Kathy's interviews, she was very calm, collected, and clear. But Robert, however, really struggled during his interviews. He 
struggled to make any eye contact with the police officers, and first of all, he barely spoke. He mostly just stared at the table or the floor with his fidgety hands. Above that, he had the opportunity to speak in his native language of Cantonese while doing the interviews. And despite this, he still really struggled to put sentences together about the scene of the crime. And particularly when talking about Henry and Terry's room, he seemed to get a little choked up during his interview. Robert also described the night before the murders, and he told police how he and his wife Kathy had dinner and that they went home afterwards, and that Robert stayed up until about 2 a.m. watching TV, had a bath, and then went to bed. Kathy corroborated with his alibi. Because Brenda was living with Robert and Kathy at the time that they were doing interviews, police were stuck in a bit of an uncomfortable position. So they carried out a number of risk assessments and concluded that if Robert was the killer, he wasn't going to harm Brenda. Robert clearly knew that Brenda wasn't going to be home. So if he had any intention to harm Brenda, he could have waited till she was home. And above that, he hadn't harmed her in the following months when she was living with him and Kathy because Robert and Kathy became Brenda's legal guardians, and he had the opportunity to harm her, and he did not do anything. Police obviously still wanted to be certain that Brenda would be safe while living with Robert and Kathy, so the police ended up installing um, cameras throughout uh, Robert and Kathy's home, and this would be the start of a six-month electronic surveillance operation on Robert. So both Robert and Kathy were interviewed during this time period while um, the surveillance operation. And during one of these interviews, Robert actually made quite a big oopsie. He said that when he was at the scene of the crime, he saw five bodies and he said that he saw Min's body next to Lily. Now, the reason why this was a big mistake is because a few months later, he ended up calling police to clarify that he may have said he saw five bodies, but he actually meant to say he saw four or five bodies. The fact that the prime suspect calls up to like clarify something that he must have been mulling over and worrying about at home was super suspicious to the police. Another reason why this phone call was suspicious is because, if you remember, Kathy was the one who told detectives to look under the bedsheets for Min's body. But police actually had their suspicions that Robert was the one who told Kathy to tell the police this, despite the fact that Kathy denies this claim. Kathy was uh, adamant in all of her interviews that she simply had a feeling that her brother was under the bedsheets. In another interview with Kathy, she was informed that there were bloody shoe impressions found at the crime scene and that they were between a U.S. men's size 8.5 and 10.5 and that they were determined to be one of three different types of Essex trainers. One of these uh, shoe models was the Essex Joe Evasion and I believe... This shoe model hadn't actually been in production since 2005. And then a few days later, when investigators were watching the video surveillance uh, footage from inside Robert and Kathy's home, they saw Robert cutting up 
an Essex shoe box into small little tiny pieces and flushing these pieces down the toilet. And on closer inspection, they found that these shoes were a man's US size 9.5. A few days after the surveillance footage in May of 2010, police started a five-day search at Robert and Kathy's house. Police knew from previous interviews that Robert had been cleaning his garage um, the morning the murders were discovered, so they paid careful attention to that area. In the garage, they found on the floor under a chest of drawers that there was a two by six centimeter stain on the floor, which was photographed, swapped, and labeled stain 91. Stain 91 was a complex DNA mixture, and forensic experts believe it was a transfer stain, meaning it was likely produced from coming into contact with another object like a bag, a weapon or clothing. And when that object was placed on the floor, the wet blood transferred to the floor in the garage. Australia's DNA testing wasn't quite that advanced yet back in 2010. So it had to be sent off to a specialty lab in the USA. And when the test came back, the lab was able to determine that the sample contained DNA from four of the five victims and that it matched Terry with a 1 in 500 quadrillion chance of it being anyone else in the world. So on the 5th of May in 2011, Robert C. was finally arrested for the five Lynn family murders. He applied for bail in December of 2011, but that request was denied in February of 2012. The Lynn family home was actually put on the market by uh, the real estate agent that originally sold the home to the Lynn family. They made a statement saying that once the house was sold, any fee that was earned from that would be donated to Brenda. Robert, again in March of 2012, applied for bail, but this request was denied again on the 20th of August in 2012. So after all these failed attempts to... Uh, apply for bail, Robert's committal hearing in central local court began. A committal hearing, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is basically like a pretrial in which a magistrate determines whether or not there's enough evidence to send somebody to trial on. On the 19th of December in 2012, Robert was committed to stand trial for the murders. He also applied for bail once again, but that request was denied on the 8th of May in 2014. Almost five years after the murders took place, um, Robert's trial began, and Robert pled not guilty during his trial. Not only did they present the DNA evidence from Stay 91, which they found in Robert's garage, but also a large number of recordings between um, Robert and a fellow inmate in Long Bay Jail between July 2011 and February of 2013 were um, presented. So, the fellow inmate in this trial was referred to as Witness A, and it was made well known that he was receiving a substantial reduction in his sentence for helping the police out by recording and trying to get information out of Robert. Witness A testified to multiple conversations with Robert. He claimed that in a conversation with Robert, Robert said he purchased a hammer from a store he knew didn't have any CCTV footage. 
But then he was worried about that there was CCTV footage of him disposing of the weapon. Shortly after the bodies were found, he apparently also said that he wanted to dispose of the hammer in an innocent person's house, but just never got around to it. Apparently, Robert also told Witness A about a pressure point on the body that could incapacitate a person. Robert also said that he didn't want to be the one that discovered the bodies, because he felt like that would make him a prime suspect, but that it just kind of happened the way that it happened, and he couldn't do anything about it. The witness also testified that Robert had said that he sedated Kathy the night of the murder so that he could sneak out at night. All of these conversations between Robert and the witness A that I have told you about, um, some of these conversations were recorded and some of them weren't. During this trial, two possible motives for the murder came out. The first one being jealousy. Obviously, Robert claimed to have been an ENT doctor when he was back in China. And I told you he came over to Australia and he had a filled restaurant in Melbourne. He mentioned at some point to his family that he felt like he was an embarrassment to them, especially in comparison with his brother-in-law, Min, who had the successful news agency, he had a beautiful family, he was able to provide for his parents, buy them a home in Maryland, and because of all of this, Robert felt that his in-laws favored Min over him, which I thought was such a weird motive because... These are li Min's literal parents. They're obviously going to favor their son, Min, over Robert, right? But the main motive actually really made sense to me. The main motive for these murders, however, is believed to have been Robert's sexual obsession with Brenda. Brenda testified during this trial that Robert had inappropriately touched her before the murders took place and that the sexual assaults only escalated once Robert and Kathy became legal guardians and Brenda moved in with them. Brenda said that she didn't reveal this information sooner because she truly believed that Robert was innocent of the murders. This motive also explains why Brenda wasn't there during the murders. It was obviously done on purpose. Robert planned it beforehand, and this explains why Brenda's room has not been entered on the night of the murder, because Robert knew that Brenda wasn't home. He knew she was in New Caledonia, so it was almost like a ploy to get control over Brenda, and on top of this, Kathy and Robert took over Min's estate. Robert kicked out Min and Kathy's parents from the home in Maryland that Min had bought for his parents, and it's believed that Robert possibly did this so that Brenda had no other choice but to live with him, with him and Kathy. Brenda's grandfather also testified that one time while he was living with Robert and Kathy after they were evicted from their own home by Robert, that he actually saw Robert standing by Brenda's door one day. After the sexual assault was brought to light, Justice Peter Johnson decided to declare a mistrial, which I'm assuming is because this information must not have been cleared, so it would have been an unfair trial. Robert's second trial began on the 5th of August in 2014. It was presided over again by Justice Peter Johnson, but seven weeks after the trial began, it had to be aborted because Justice Peter Johnson fell sick. In October of that same year, Robert again applied for jail, but that request was denied again. 
on the 4th of February in 2015, Robert's third trial began. And this trial was presided over by another justice named Elizabeth Feuerton. The same evidence was presented, witness A's testimony, stay 91, and the possible motives of either Robert's jealousy as well as his sexual obsession with Brenda. This trial ran for 10 months, which was actually the longest trial for a single accused in New South Wales history. It concluded on the 12th of November, and the jury began their deliberations, which took 19 days. On the 1st of December, the jury returned and told the court that they could not reach a verdict, meaning it was a mistrial, and Robert would have to have a fourth trial. Because of all of this, and because Robert had been waiting in jail for four trials now, Justice Elizabeth Feuerton decided to grant Robert bail on the 8th of December. Robert's fourth trial then began on the 29th of June in 2016, with an all-new defense team and all-new prosecutors, but it was once again presided over by the same justice named Elizabeth Feuerton. The same information was brought up as the previous trials. They also brought up the fact that despite Robert's medical training, he never once tried to check if anybody was still alive. They also brought up the fact that he left Kathy all alone at the home, still not knowing where Min was, not knowing if Min was the killer, if he was still there, if Kathy was in any danger at all. And Kathy defended her husband the entire time during the trial. She maintained his innocence and she believed that he, um, Robert was being framed by the police. And she lied for Robert on multiple occasions, for example, about the assets and possibly about if Robert told her to tell paramedics and police to look under the bedsheets, as police suspected she did. There was also a recorded conversation where it seemed as though Robert was coaching Kathy into what to say during trial. In December of 2016, Robert was taken back into custody as the trial finished and the jury was deliberating on the 12th of January in 2017. The jury had reached a verdict and they came back and told the court that they found Robert C. guilty on all five charges of murder. Justice Elizabeth Feuerton then sentenced him to five life sentences, meaning he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. So that was it guys, this is all the information that I have on the Lin family murder case. And I have to say, after doing all this research for you guys, uh, looking into the details, telling you guys about this, I've watched videos and I still find this case so surreal. Killing off a whole family just because you're jealous of the successful news agency of your own brother-in-law, or more likely, a sexual obsession over his daughter Brenda. Like, I just can't wrap my head around that. It just, it's so pathetic. And the way he planned to slaughter them with a hammer-like murder weapon, leaving blood everywhere, it just makes me sick to the stomach. So, how could you do that to your own family members? 
let me know what you guys think about this case um leave some recommendations for me if uh, you want to and i hope to speak with you guys again at another disturbing case at the murder cafe i hope that you had um that you were interested i hope that i educated you in some way thank you so much for listening to my first podcast and i hope to see you soon bye